Hello and welcome to episode 202 of the Saints Score podcast where we discuss everything going on at Southampton Football Club. And well, what a week it has been. The club set a new record of 21 games unbeaten on Russell Martin's return to Swansea, which included the most dominant first half display of the season. There's also been news about St Mary's, transfer news, Suleiman's back in training and of course there's a sold out away end heading to Watford in the FA Cup. To discuss it all, my name's Harry Tizard and I'm joined by Ollie Bost. Ollie, how are you doing this week? I'm doing very well, thanks. No Jamie again. I don't actually know where he is. Have he has he sent his apologies where he is? I've got absolutely no, no. idea. I never seem to anymore. He's <laughs> either here or he's not. I think he is in the country though, because last week he was on the slopes in, in France. He's in the in the UK, but I don't know whereabouts. I don't know what he's up to. Um, yeah, I'm doing. I'm doing all right. I didn't manage to catch the game. It was an early kickoff, wasn't it? So we were on TV, uh, but I didn't manage to catch it. I was ice skating instead. Uh, I want you to guess. Do you think I was good at ice skating? I'm not going to get offended if you say no, but just just gut feeling. What do you reckon? It's a fifty-fifty. The thing is, I've seen you on the the football pitch dancing around <laughs> the midfield. You're elegant on the ball, so you don't have to have a football, but you do have the inclusion of ice. So I'm going to say that <laughs> you were you were good, not excellent, not bad, but better than most. I would say. I was. I was good <laughs> yeah i was trying to i was gonna try and find a, like a, a word that's not too you know you have to get your bleeper out but no i think i was actually i so i used to i go as like a kid around like christmas but since then my legs have grown so i didn't know whether i was going to be like bambi on ice it turns out i'm actually all right uh, in fact we went with um uh one of my friends and she's got like professional skates that she got for christmas Ooh. as a christmas present because she wanted to kind of like get better ice skating so i was like oh yeah the few friends we're like we'll come along and uh by the end she said i was like a cocky child because i was doing like i was going backwards i was doing spins uh i was doing like that you know like the ice hockey stop you know when they kind of turn and they spray ice everywhere i, I wasn't quite doing that but i was doing the same sort of thing and uh yeah she she wasn't very happy and apparently i needed to to, to tone down the um I don't even know what you'd call it. Cockiness, I guess. Um, so we're on the uh, we're on the scale between Bambi and Torval and Dean. Would you say you are? <laughs> um, maybe like just ab- above the middle, I'd say. Like a if it was a scale, it'd be like a six. Like there were still like eight year olds doing like laps around me, like these little tiny kids who were like flying around backwards quicker than I'm going forwards um so yeah I, I still know my lane don't don't worry i'm not gonna like start creating an ice skating podcast or anything but um I, it was a surprise to see that i was actually okay because i thought i was going to be hugging the barrier or holding the penguins but i could actually stand up which is quite nice i wonder how many ice skating podcasts there are out there there must be because of dancing on ice there must be like the <laughs> the fan shows um but apart from ice skating was there any other fun things during your week um i, I went to wells do you know where wells is where well wells not wales it's the hot fuzz village i don't know if you've watched hot fuzz a great film um but basically it's like a murder mystery slash comedy nick frost simon Pegg, and they go to the small basically the, the main character gets relocated to the smallest village in England, uh, which is Wells. Um, they don't call it Wells in the film, but that's what it is in real life. Um, 
it's in Somerset. It's about an hour drive from Bristol. So we went down there for um, just a, like a little day trip. It's actually really nice down there, really quiet, um, as you can imagine, because it's quite small. Uh, and you can kind of go around the village in the centre in about half an hour. It's really kind of, but it's got quite a few nice like shops and stuff. Um, so if you're an Edgar Wright fan or you just like small villages, then check out Wales. Look at us being like informative. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ollie didn't go to Wales, but Russell Martin and the rest of the Saints did in the reverse fixture at St Mary's. It was a 5-0 win. And do you know what? At times it felt that it was going to be as comfortable. 2-0 up, Che Adams scored the first and then Will Smallbone scored the second the Swans, they did get one back, but Flynn Downs replied five minutes later in the first half for a comfortable 3-1 lead. There were no goals in the second half, but it did look like Swansea were the more likely to, but Bazuni made a couple of good saves in that. Ollie, overall, mm-hmm. what are your thoughts on the performance? Well, I mentioned to you before when we did our prediction how I think it could be a real tricky one, but yet again, this team overcomes what could be a potential hiccup and we got over it we played exceptionally well in the first half set the tone and allowed us even though we were not quite as dominant in the second half we kind of set ourselves up well enough to be able to to overcome that so I think on paper it was a really tricky fixture there's a lot of history there there's a lot of riding on it knowing it is a kind of record-breaking game wasn't it that that's the main headline that was going into it it's like will Southampton break their record and not only to do you know I would have maybe taken a draw taken the circumstances but to to bring a win out of the game I think was really good and also as well having that early win early doors in in the week in terms of the weekend it really put the pressure on the other teams as well um which is what I quite like I like us setting the tone and making sure others follow as well um briefly allowing us to be in second and then they're getting taken away but um yeah, it was a really good game. Uh, I think it's great that we took three points out of it. Um, and it just keeps giving me confidence for the next ones because we can continue to build this unbeaten streak, which I think will be so important for our season. Now, I know that you don't like to change a winning team and it seems that Russell Martin doesn't either. When there's a week between fixtures, he likes to stick with the same sort of players. Do you think that really helps in a relentless championship season when you do have let's say, slower months like January when you have four or five fixtures. There's not as many Tuesday and Wednesday games. It means that you've got training during the week to refine certain things, but it also means that you're not going to have to change one of your defenders, one of your midfielders, one of your attackers. You can you know, retain most of the starting 11 that have done well the week before. Mm. I, I mean, exactly. And I think the players that potentially have like, oh, could this person come in? I don't think the players playing are given the opportunity for rotation because I look at that midfield and I think all three of the midfielders had excellent games, which I think really makes it tricky for when people going, oh, good team, but I wish Alcaraz was was starting, which I understand that frustration. He's an exciting player. We want to see him play. But realistically, who do you take out that midfield? I mean, Wall Spawnbone is not as favourable because he's not quite as glamorous as Alcaraz, but... He did what, exactly what he needed to on the weekend and he grabbed a goal as well. Um, so, yeah, it's it's one of those ones where they're playing they're playing really well and it would be unfair to drop them there. Like you said, you can have that aspect where you think you get those partnerships with people, the playing the, the amount of minutes and together they build up those relationships. That is true. But also, I think just playing informed players, which is what they are, is the best way, I think, 
you could have a lot of talent. So like when Suleimana potentially could be starting to work his way back into the team. Um, yes, he's probably got a higher ceiling than someone like Ryan Fraser in terms of his his value and maybe his potential as well. But Ryan Fraser's on red hot form and it would be unfair to drop him out of the team just because a player has potential. That was a dominant start and we scored after six minutes. Ryan Manning, someone that's had a lot of question marks over him for a long period, played into Che Adams. He flicked it round the corner to Stuart Armstrong. He moved on to his right foot. The shot was safe, but Adams is there from a couple of yards out. And it always seems that he is there. When there's a shot being saved, he always seems to follow in and he gets exactly what he deserves. A nice, simple finish from a few yards out. Another goal. He seems to be gaining confidence every week. And in, in previous episodes, we've talked about should he stay, should he go, why he's starting to be informed now. But I'm going to ask you a slightly different question from the weeks that I have before. What would we lose if he goes in this transfer window? We're moving towards the final week. It doesn't look like there's going to be any movement on that front. But after, you know, a lot of people... 50% probably saying we could cash in, we want some money. The other 50% saying, no, we've got to keep him. Mm. You know, what's your updated maybe opinion on that? But also what would we lose if he goes? Well, I think the main thing we'd lose if he does go is the financial side, which is the fact that we initially invested 15 million into him. And he's probably, I don't know, actually, I'm going to have to have a look and see how old he is, but he's in 27. So that you'd pretty say peak peak years in terms of a striker maybe a little bit longer because with his with his game he's not entirely reliant on pace I'd say he's a lot more positioning hold up play so I think he has got a bit of a he could probably play a little bit longer because he's not a player who's as explosive but 27 is kind of the prime age for a striker so letting him go on a free would be quite a large financial loss I think we could have easily recuperated the money that we paid maybe even a bit more considering he had Premier League goals and again proven he's proved himself now twice in the championship so we lose that financial side if he goes there is also the possibility of him losing his focus because after January if he's got less than six months on his deal he could start negotiating with other teams and maybe mentally check out of the uh, the season I'm not saying he would and maybe he might even step it up to really prove his point and put himself in the window but I think we've seen it a little bit before, maybe at the start of the season, where the managers protected him and said he's not his head's not quite in the game at the moment and we're going to take him out until he feels fully focused. Uh, it's happened before, so it could potentially happen again. So if we did lose him, yeah, you've got the financial side, you've got the mental side. And then also as a player as well, we mentioned it there, instincts-wise, he's a great striker. If you don't give him any time to think... He uh, he creates great opportunities. It's just his his composure when he has time to put away a chance is is one downfall. We've always known that. But yeah, you've got a kind of natural, instinctive striker that you'd be losing, physically strong and can pick a great pass as well. So really, kind of adapting himself to our interlinking play, which I think is something he's uh, he's grown into. Considering our previous play was quick, transitional, and counter pressing, he's now adapted to be more on the ball and bringing others into the game so that's something else that we might potentially lose something else that he's he's uh he's brought into his his style of play now one nil quickly became two taylor harwood bellis someone that we also highlighted last week with a delightful pass over the top to stuart armstrong he couldn't quite bring it down 
him and Ryan Fraser combined before the Scotsman, or I, mean, I should say the two Scottish players mm-hmm. combined. Stuart Armstrong down the left-hand side, plays it into Will Smallbone. What did you make of that goal, Ollie? I, I really enjoyed it, but there was a there was a hint of offside <laughs> there on that left. The fact that he was offside is probably what what that <laughs> little twinge was. Uh, the, when I was watching the replays, it actually, I got a little voice in my head, which was you talking about Taylor Harlebellis's technique. I don't know if you remember it last episode we were talking about it, and you said he kind of hooks. He doesn't he doesn't really float it or drill it. He kind of it's yeah, it's like a, a hook or a dink over the top. And he's done that right over the top. And as that ball was flying in the air, I was thinking, that's what Harry was saying last week. And he's proved the point exactly. And it's the the uh, the assist of the assist, using a, an ice hockey term. Um, but it's a beautiful ball. Um, there's something so classy, something so uh, mesmerising to watch when you have a, a centre-back with such great distribution. I think we've, we've been treated over the years with some of the players we've had Think of like Van Dykes who could spray that ball. Investigard could do it. He, he loved that crossfield ball, didn't he? Um, I'm running out of names now. But I think it's something we really like to see because it's, when it floats in the air for 50 yards and then someone brings it down, I don't think there's any... There's very little things that are more magical than that in football. Um, so, yeah, beautiful to watch. Armstrong does well with the situation. If he can't bring it down straight away, okay. Um, brings a player across, puts it in the box and Smallbone just kind of walks into the box and just puts it into the corner beautifully really real relaxed and uh, a calmness into his late arrival into the box he knows he's in space and sometimes you can think players want to sprint into that space and get there as soon as possible but he knows he's in acres and he can just kind of slowly carry himself forward I think he was if he was sprinting into that he may have rushed the shot but it was beautifully calmly taken and slotted away and it was uh the second goal now, you mentioned Smallbone previously in the podcast, saying that out of all of our midfielders, he probably isn't the most exciting. But that is his fourth goal of the season. One against Leeds, one against Hull City, and one against West Brom. All look pretty similar where, I mean, this is probably not uh, a word that Mikey would use, uh, one of our previous podcast guests. Um, but he sort of vibes on the edge of the <laughs> box, just sort of waits for the chance. And when someone gets to the byline, that's when he makes his move. He gets into space. And that all of his finishes have really looked the same. Is that maybe an underrated part of his game that you know Alcaraz has scored four goals this season? Mm. But apart from that, our midfielders have chipped in. You know, this game especially Downs, um, you know, got his first of the season as well. But he's, he's coming up with a, f- a few important goals this small bone. I was thinking about this, and I think it's something that might be practiced. I think we play a lot down the bylines, and we do get a lot of corners because teams try to push us out well wide and don't let us play in the middle. So I wouldn't be surprised if there's some shooting drills where it goes down the line, cut back, run it, late arrival into the box and find the bottom corner because every time he does it, it looks so calm. It looks so natural. And I think that must be something that's practiced. Of course, these players practice shooting. I mean, that's a given. They're, they're at the training pitch five, maybe six times a week. But the fact that he looks so calm getting onto the ball and guiding it, passing it into that that post. I think it it might be something specifically that's worked on. Like I say, that a cut back and shot. It just looks so so comfortable. So yeah, I was thinking about that and I was thinking that it might be something I wouldn't be surprised if we got access all areas to to staple, would that be something they might be practicing in the week? 
Yeah, I mean, Joe Rothwell came on in the second half, um, but I think Smallbone is going to have that place nailed down for at least a few more weeks. So hopefully the new signing will, will push him. But looking at the rest of the half, Adam Armstrong had a shot saved by Rushworth after a downs flick. I was just expecting Adams to just thump it as hard as he possibly could. He was right next to the goal and he almost like side foot studs it. Um, it's, I mean, it's a good save from Rushworth. Early in the half, Adam Armstrong also had a, had a shot saved at close range as well. Before Swansea got one back against the run of play. Ashby on the right-hand side gets the better of Bednarek, puts a delightful cross into the box low, gets absolutely clattered by Bazuda. I think there's not a better word for it uh, before Patterson heads into, not an open net, but it was from close range. It's always going to be difficult for Bazuna to get into it uh, or get across to it, I should say. And before we talk about the goal, We've, taught, we, we've discussed previously how Bazunu is improving. Some of the saves that he's been making, his distribution is one of the best in the league as well. But do you think there's sometimes a level of rashness in his game? I think earlier in the season when he clattered into the back of Burke and somehow didn't give away a penalty. Mm. Does that just come with experience? Maybe his youth, maybe just being a goalkeeper. You know, A lot of people say they're the craziest part or the craziest player on the pitch. <laughs> is that a mixture of those sorts of things? Or hopefully over time, he doesn't just smash into people. Yeah, I think you're right. He's still a very young goalkeeper, which we have to have to bear in mind. Uh, it does concern me when you see a keeper flying out like that, because if he doesn't get the ball, that one you mentioned previously was pretty much a stonewall penalty, and we don't know how that wasn't given. However, the other side that you could flip it, just to play devil's advocate, is that he's going for it. And I'd rather see a goalkeeper go for the ball and commit for it if he thinks it's there to be won, because I also think a lot of times keepers can be caught out if they go half and then come back and stop and don't know where to go. It reminds me a bit of Forster used to do that. He wasn't quick off his line. And if he did, he didn't look assured. He didn't look like he was going, but sometimes go and then stop himself. And I think that that adds a little bit of uh, unrest to the defence and the strikers can kind of smell blood a little bit. Whereas, at least if Bazuna's going for it, he is going for it. And the body is on the line and he's going bang straight for it. So, yeah, I think it's a young player. But I I kind of I kind of like the fact that he's he's all or nothing. There's no hesitation. He just kind of goes for it. Now, when it's 2-1 and they've just scored against the run of play, sometimes the game can flip on its head immediately. But what a response mm. it was from saying Stuart Armstrong's little pass across to Downs and he just hits it from the edge of the box. It deflects right into the bottom corner and Downs, we seem to talk about him every week, but how impressed have you been with him and how much did he deserve his first Southampton goal? Yeah, I'm not going to talk too much about his uh, the way he's been playing because we talk about it every week and he's been fantastic and I think he's a very strong runner for player of the season if he continues how he is playing. Um, so I won't bore you and say the exact same thing that I say every week, but in terms of his goal... Uh, muted celebrations, obviously, um, but I think he does really deserve it. And I think even if it didn't take a deflection, it was definitely going on target. It just depends whether the keeper would have got something to it if it didn't take the deflection. But I, I like to see uh, a shot from there because a lot of the time playing against low blocks and teams wanting to put as many bodies as they can in front of the goal we do have to sometimes turn back and, and cut the ball back. And we've seen Alcaraz do it where he's gone across goal and found the top corner. And uh, Downs has put his head down and put his foot through it, taken a taken a nick and ended up in the back of the goal, uh, back of the net. So, yeah, you have to look at it and think, 
sometimes we're not going to be able to walk it in and and get to the the six yard box. We're going to have to have shots outside the box, and it just shows we've got the quality to do that as well, which is a uh, a fantastic situation to be in. Now, some Premier League transfer news that could really help Southampton. Calvin Phillips going on loan with an option to buy from Manchester City to West Ham. Could that help in our pursuit for Flynn Downs if we get promoted as a player now in his position in London? Does that mean that he could stay with us? It's a possibility. I mean, this is very forward planning from you. Um, So, yeah, I would put too much speculation on it because there's a lot of cogs there that need to be turned before you could make a decision but it is true and yeah you, you you never you never really know i mean i the one thing i think most loan players have time when they go back to their parent club to at least prove themselves and see whether the the manager has them in their plan so Maybe he, if he's very comfortable with the environment we've created at Southampton, it gives us a very strong opportunity for him to come back. But I still think players who have had a good season, like potentially, you have to think about it the other way around. Smallbone didn't look like he had a place in the side, but he came back and he's proved himself. And now we're talking about him here today as being one of our best players. So I think players in good form on loan will always want to go back to the parent club first and prove a point. But... If he's not in the manager's plans, then I think it only only adds uh, another chance for us to potentially keep him on a permanent basis. As a West Ham fan as well, it's always going to be difficult to prize him away. Um, but, you know, you look at the team, they've got Suchek, Ward-Prowse, Kudus, Paqueta, so, uh, Alvarez as well. Not all of them play in his position, but that's a packed midfield. And if he wants guaranteed playing time, hopefully in the Premier League next season, he knows there's always going to be a space open on the South Coast. Well, you look at that first half performance, Swansea, two shots, one on target, compared to 17 from us and 10 on target. Rushworth with seven saves in that first half. And I feel like we're saying this every week, but is that the most impressed you've been from a first-half performance? It's always going to be difficult when we've conceded a goal, so it's not complete perfection. But if you almost try to ignore that side of things, it was seriously dominant, yeah. wasn't it? and the one thing that you kept mentioning was the fact that we weren't scoring many goals away from home. But yeah, getting those three goals, um, like you said, it, it just really proves that that was a little stumbling block, a little something that we were like, well, that's not quite, quite right away from home. And then, okay, we've overcome that now as well. So fantastic that these slight questions are all kind of being answered. And yeah, like you said, really dominant, looking really strong. I think Swansea looked really vulnerable as well. I think that's the best way I can put it. We really opened up some of the weaknesses they had in their side. And I think they were probably feeling a little bit sad seeing how successful Russell Martin has set up his side and people potentially putting question marks on him when it, at his time when he was at Swansea saying is it does this really is his football really going to work kind of things like that where he's had the real backing of one of the strongest let's be honest one of the strongest financial uh, teams in the league we are I think second in the fact that we're in the terms of how much wages we're paying so he's been given the backing but he's set up his side to play that way and it just proves that it works. You talked about the mental changes there. Do you think that was a big hurdle that we had to emphatically overcome in terms of scoring more than one goal away from home? That it wasn't fluky. Those three goals were fully deserved. And mm. also when we've conceded to make it 2-1, I think maybe in previous seasons, you know, you look at the Arsenal game, for example, I know they were pushing for the title, but when we were 
3-1 up. They score that one goal and it, it then becomes a really difficult game that we always felt like we were going to concede again and again. Whereas when we sco- when we conceded against Swansea, there wasn't any nervousness. It, it felt like mm. we imme- re- reacted immediately. And maybe that's a change, not just you know this season overall, but within this season that sometimes when the game's been really close and the other teams had momentum, we've just cleared the ball long. Whereas you know repetitive practice from what Martin's been doing and also saying in the press that he wants his players to always play the exact same way don't rush it no matter what the score is Mm. play my way otherwise you're not going to be in the team so do you think overall that's just been a big change since he's came in definitely and to be honest I don't think there's much more that I can add from what you've said there I think it's a mentality change I think the proof is from the results that we get and they can you can back yourself off that and think well, we've previously done that before and we've got 21 undefeated from it. So, you know, it works. And I think that's a real important thing for the players in the back of their minds. And they, they think we continue to play this way and we will continue to get the results. I think it just adds that assurance to their game. Now, look at the second half. Armstrong scored, but the goal was ruled out for offside and Fraser's half volley went over the bar before something that caused quite a lot of controversy on social media. Taylor Harwood-Bellis was subbed off for Jack Stevens. What did you make of that? I didn't, so I didn't really see too much of the the controversy, so you might have to catch me up on that. That may be because I've also deleted Twitter. Um, People weren't too happy because Jack Stevens, I think it's maybe harsh to say rusty because he's not had a lot of minutes recently. There's mm. a couple of stray passes, if you, as you've seen from one of the highlights when he gives the ball away in our own box. They almost score when Yates somehow misses <laughs> from a yard out. He hits the outside of the post. But because Taylor Harwood-Bellis was on a yellow card, can you sort of understand where Russell Martin's thinking that... Mm. You know, we're 3-1 up, we're comfortable in the game. I believe in Jack Stevens, our captain, someone that has, you know, played the the system for most of the season until he got injured, that he, he's confident in his players. And, you know, it, it didn't seem like Taylor Harwood Bellis was too happy to come off, but once uh Martin put the arm around him, he sort of he felt okay. So yeah. could you understand where maybe Russell Martin's coming from, but also the fans as well, that every time you see one of your favorite players or one of your best performing players come off, it's always you know, you don't always like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I get it. But for me, it's not a, a cause for concern. I think, uh, yeah, like you said, he was on a yellow. We, we don't want him to get a second yellow. I don't know whether it looked like he was going to get a second yellow. But I think on a counter-attack or something like that, if a cynical challenge needs to be made, you don't really want to be uh, second-guessing it if you're on a yellow. So I kind of get it. I think the manager does want to try and include Stevens into the team a little bit more because he has come back from injury. He is the club captain and I think he wants him in and around the squad as much as he can. So in a game in the first half where we did look so dominant, it was quite a nice game to bring him on potentially. Um, So I can understand that as well. Um, But yeah, I think some of our centre-backs haven't hit the ground running straight away. Um, I think Harwood Bellis took a few games to, to really cement his place. And I think it's unfortunate for Stevens because... Again, the form that our two centre-backs are on at the moment is going to be hard for him to start a game. Um, so potentially, and we'll talk about it a little bit later, but is this a game in the Cup that um, Stevens could get a full 90 and really get back into the, the swing of things, possibly? Um, but yeah, it is a little bit frustrating because you, d- you don't want to see players come on and make mistakes, considering the player who just came off was playing fantastic. So I do get the 
the frustration a little bit, but I think it's a logical decision from the manager and overall it wasn't too costly. So I think, um, yeah, I, I don't think it was too bad of a gamble. Well, so that was a good start to that second half. But it was Swansea who really grew into it. Like I said, Yates hit the post. Patterson forced a really good save out of Bazunu. Allen had a shot blocked from close range. And Balassi had his head a push wide by Bazunu. Once again, it's a slower second half. We haven't had one of those for quite a long time in the season. But only four shots, none on target compared to Swansea's 13 and four off target. It's sort of a replay of maybe the time that we played against Leeds earlier in the season where we were, where we were completely comfortable. I think we were 3-1 up in that game as well, um, or maybe 3-0 at halftime, and I think Pascal Stroik uh, got a consolation. So once again, is it conserving energy? Is it being happy with the score you've got and maybe not pushing on for even more? Is there any worries behind that sort of thing? Or are you just pretty happy that we saw out the game? I think it really takes a ruthless manager to continue to get them motivated at that scoreline considering how comfortable the first half was that initial reaction is ah we can just coast here you know game's almost done yada 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 the opposition are coming out firing and going right we've got to get back into this game now I'm not saying it's a mentality thing but I think just in terms of um motivation the opposition have got so much to play for and they're going to come out that second half and really want to try and prove themselves Compare that to the team that are ahead, comfortably played really well. You talk about the possession, the 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 attacking intent that they have compared against the uh, the opposition. So I get it, and you can't. I think there's been very little where we've had complete domination for the whole of the game. I think there will be some times where you have to realise you will have to defend for a little bit and just kind of soak up a little bit of pressure, which. I think we did in the second half. I don't think there was a point where you really thought we. This looks like we're it's running away from us. I think we were containing the pressure. Um, but yeah, I think it, it's something that has cropped up now and again. But I think again, it just comes down to that motivation when being so uh, so controlling in the game to try and have that next thing to strive for. Because going for that fourth goal isn't quite as uh, motivating as trying to get back into the game. Now let's move on to other bits of news. Russell Martin, well, he was talking to BBC Radio 5 Live and something that he mentioned was, I said to all of them that it's my stubbornness that has got us this far. If I back down now or show fear to the players, it's game over. What have you made of Russell Martin? Why do you think he's been successful this season? Hmm. Well, I think what you've mentioned there is that he has his principles and... I know we're going to talk about it a little bit later, but the interview on TalkSport, you know what I'm talking about with the old CEO? Mike he was talking. That's the one. He said about um, Hassan Hutel and what he told him about football management. And he said that you have points where you prove yourself to the players. So you say you're going to play this style of play. If you get a result from it, if you win 3-0, you get the backing of the players. And I think we had this very early in Hassan Hussle. Didn't we beat, was it Arsenal? I think we beat. Mm, yeah. And um, we, I think we lost the first game, but then the second game at home, we we beat Arsenal. And I think that's where Hassan Hussle won us over. The pressing looked like it was working. We looked exciting. We looked quick on the break. And I think that's where, yeah, Hassan Hussle kind of won the players. And they thought, we're going to play for you because we believe in what you're saying. And... I think our early form, our early kind of 
um, the late winners, coincidentally. Um, I think that's the thing that got the players. They were thinking, we will find a way with the style. We will tire out the opposition and we will get a goal. I think that's when the players bought in. Um, and we continue to play our principles, even through the losses, the the four games of terrible fixtures where it just didn't go right at all. The players still were on board and they still believed in what they were doing. And I think this unbeaten run is a massive, massive, massive milestone for them and them, them thinking this does really work. And I think uh, I think it will stick with a lot of the players for a while. I think they will realise that possession football is a really strong way to, to dominate a game and potentially under other managers, they might want to, to favour a possession style because they've they've seen how successful it's been for us on this run. Do you sort of, to veer away from maybe this season and move to, I'm, I guess it could ha- happen in the January transfer window, but maybe this summer as well, whether we get promoted or not. Do you think a manager playing attractive football and seemingly improving players as well, does that make us a, a better proposition for incoming players that you could look at, other teams, maybe less as a bad example because they play some brilliant stuff as well. But when you when you play a really nice brand of football, players are more likely to want to come rather than if Everton come calling, for example. Not that they play a horrendous style, but Sean Dyche wants results and that, that's what he gets. But you mm-hmm. don't see all of this really nice stuff maybe that Russell Martin tries that sometimes doesn't work and it's yet to be seen well, whether it will work in the top level. But it can attract you know, maybe the ambitious players as well. Yeah, I also think if you really dial down into it, I think the majority of footballers just want to be on the ball. And I, I think you really lose some players. I think you think of like the Mourinho third season curse where he has them drilled and they have to be working defensively. And even when they're attacking, they're thinking about defending. They get motivated by the results they get. But after a while, they fall out of love with the football that they're playing because... They're getting the results and they're getting the three points. They're winning the one nils, but they're not actually enjoying themselves playing. They're just kind of getting the results. And you might think, ah, well, it's their job. You know, get the results. That's all you paid for. Yeah, 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 move on to the next one. But if there's a proposition where you can go and you can enjoy your football, get on the ball more, be be on possession and, and make risks and not always think defensively, I think it's a massive proposition. I think that's where this change in mentalities come from because I think the the pressing style was kind of fallen out of favour a little bit. I think players are looking elsewhere and seeing Deserby building out from his own six-yard box and Pep using positional play and putting eight midfielders in the middle and one defender and all of this. And people are thinking, well, hang on, I want to play that. I want to be on the ball. I want to be fluid. I want to be total football and all of this. I think that's the that's the selling point that you can be on the ball and you can make something happen. Whereas yeah, low blocks and, and pressing it's not as, it's not quite as glamorous, is it really when you dive down into it? Now, Martin Simmons also talks about Nathan Jones and I think he mentions that he, he doesn't think that he was given enough of a chance. I think he was uh, seven losses and eight says about that. And I was going to ask you a question about it, but I think we both know the answer to it. Um, Other things, at St. Mary's, the away fans are going to move, probably, um, looking at all the feedback, and the home fans are going to get the entirety of the Northern. What did you make of that when the news broke? Um, it's interesting because it's been talked about for years. So I think we've mentioned it on here. I was on the first Saints fans forum, which was a, a bridge in between the fans and senior directive members of the club. 
um, people like Toby Steele and people like that were sitting on the board and we fed directly back to them. The thing we always got mentioned was um, moving the away fans because we felt they had too much of a presence behind the goal and um, we wanted to move it. But we were told for various reasons to do with council, um, transport uh, and policing was the main three. And that's the three things that they're going to have to solve if they are going to move them, which I think will be very interesting to see how they do it. I'm not sure how they will do it. And you also have to think about the people who will have the away fans now in their seats. If you've been a lifelong Saints fan, sat in the same seat for 30 years, and they tell you they're going to move the away fans there and you can no longer sit there, uh, I think that's going to be very interesting to see how they will get around that conundrum as well. Because let's be honest, the... The stadium has been there for 20 years. There might be quite a lot of people who have sat in the same seat for 20 years and will want to remain there. So they're not going to want to sit in with the away fans. So I'm not sure what's going to happen with that either. So it's interesting that they've proposed it and it seems like it will be going ahead. If it allows for a whole almost wall of, of Saints fans to have a kind of Saints Big Bank or COP or I can't think of other, you know, the yellow uh, wall from Bristol. Yeah, Dortmund. yeah, yeah. We can have a red and white wall. Uh, but <laughs> I also think that a lot of our um, presence that our fans comes from the back and forth with the away fans as well. So I'd be interesting to see where where that would come into play because I think you have the Northern who obviously play off the away fans because they're in that side and it's almost like a, on a bigger allocation. It's like a 50-50 kind of arguing against each other. And then you've got the Itch and North as well. We've got a very loud presence in that corner as well. So you kind of have both of those fans bouncing off each other and kind of cramming in on these away fans. And I think that's where a lot of our our sound comes from. Um, so if they do move, I don't know what that's going to do to the, um, to the atmosphere. I don't know whether it's something they can potentially trial if they set it up, but I think there's going to be a lot of infrastructure change to be able to move out the away fans without having any commotion you think where they are in the northern they go straight down those steps straight to the coaches and then they're out the away fans go around the uh, no the home fans sorry go around all the other way and there's no clashing so there's going to, have to be some real infrastructure change if they're going to do it and i don't know how they do that and they haven't really <laughs> given too much away i don't know where in the, in no, the i news think there's a lot of like give us feedback and mm. we'll get back to you sort of thing because i think phil parsons was talking on bbc radio Solar that this is the end of seasons thing once the season's over we want to get straight to it and i was on an interesting sort of fan debate on match day vlogs it, you know if you're on youtube or anything like that you'll know exactly who they are um and it was about an hour-long debate just chatting to other saints fans and it is it's easy to say we'll make the atmosphere better but there are a lot of problems behind it like you say some people don't want to move or probably wouldn't want to move um you know i remember when i had a season ticket for the same uh for, for eight years straight between league one and i think it was the the pellegrino season um slash years was my final season mm-hmm. um maybe the ralph Hasen, i can't i can't quite remember um but you know you've seen everything in that seat you've seen the promotions you've seen the relegations if you've been there longer than i have you've seen us in the europa league us get to cup cup semi-finals in that sort of seat as well so it's more than just you know a bit of plastic i guess it's it's your your weekend every other weekend for for however long it's been mm. i think they said that it was like the sixth best for acoustics in the in the Premier League or something like that so if you could get a good amount of volume it's absolutely fantastic maybe and, and also that if they 
move to safe standing, they get the extra like a thousand seats. I think they said um, mm. every season because they don't have to put all of the um, blockaging between the home and away fans or, or something like that. If you move them, so there's a lot of interesting points. But the main one: Do you think the changes at the stadium will work in terms of atmosphere? Your I honest th- opinion? I think safe standing would. Because I think there's a lot of fans who stand up for the majority game in the Northern anyway. And I think we don't really have... There used to be a real up and down, can you take your seats please, yada yada yada, especially in quiet periods of the game. I think safe standing, people will be on their feet. I've I've been in safe standing before and I think it does have a bit more of an electric feel to it. I think um, you mentioned you were really impressed with the Wolves uh, atmosphere when you went and went up there for a oh, one all. I feel like was yeah, it one? yeah. Well, the home the home atmosphere is really good, but their away end is unbelievable for the home fans. Yeah, they just can't make any noise whatsoever. Yeah, so you can you can see how that affects a game and can really kind of put the opposition as a, at a potential disadvantage. So if it's something they're looking at and think, well, if Wolves can do it, is that something we can implement? I think that could be, yeah, it could be a positive. <laughs> Other news, Kamari Doyle seems to be on the way out and to Brighton. He doesn't think he's going to get enough game time in a Saints shirt. What do you make of all of it? We've seen a lot of young players get minutes this season. Do you think the pathway's a bit blocked? Do you think it's because we've been on such a good run? Are you too bust? Because it seems like we're going to get a fee plus a a sell-on percentage. Is there any worries that maybe other players will follow suit? Or is this just a a one-time thing that we can see what happens with him and we'll benefit in the future if he gets sold for big money. Yeah, well, correct me if I'm wrong, he's been injured for most of the season, hasn't he? So in terms of mm-hmm. his direct entry into the first team, the main blocker for him not getting into the first team has been his injury. So uh, I don't think that's too much to do with the management or not being given the opportunities. And I think in some of the early rounds of the cup, he would have potentially featured if he was fit and eligible because um, we've seen it with other young players. But I think Brighton is a fantastic prospect for a player because you, we've seen what they've done with youngsters and um, what their recruitment's like. And I think that's almost a, a bit of a privilege for him to be already picked up like this and they know how they can um, yeah, but, uh, allow youngsters to develop. So I'm not too mad about it. And also you have to realise that we are currently a championship side. We might be on course to get back into the Premier League, but... Brighton are an established Premier League side with a strong uh, recruitment process and quite a um, attractive model when they're when they're um, proposing it to him and it's not far too far down the road. Um, so unfortunately, it does happen and it does work both ways as well. We've we've pinched some uh, talent off Spurs because they didn't have a direct entry into what seems like the first team, and we've been trying to include them where we can into. Um, first team football so we've picked up a couple of um, interesting and exciting youth prospects from from other teams so I feel like it it swings in roundabouts it, it come it comes and goes right up next the FA Cup a break from championship action but we are playing a championship team yeah. which for me is very boring but I think Watford would feel the same way as well so I'm not trying to offend any Hornets fans that that are listening Away from home, 4,000 fans are going up there. 
What do you make of this tie? Is it an opportunity to rotate the squad, give the sideline players like Stevens, maybe Mara, maybe Amo Ameyor and Megoma a chance to play? Or is it an opportunity to keep that momentum going? How do you look at this fixture? I still want us to keep our momentum going, but we've got a bit of a benchmark from when we play them away from home quite recently. So the players that might be rotated into the side, so... For instance, I'd quite like to see Jack Stevens, as I mentioned previously, if he can. I'd like to see him get a full 90 because I think he would really benefit from it. Um, so I'd like to see players like that come into the side. But you've got a benchmark and said, look, the first team who were on this great run drew up there. Can you go and get a win? Have that um, have that little bit of, of fire to try and prove something. And uh, if need be, we've got the, the firepower on the bench to bring them on. Uh, later into the game when uh, legs are tired. So, yeah, I'd like to think a couple of changes for some players who could could benefit from it. But I also think the motivation's there to try and get the win because we weren't able to last time. So you talk about rotating and allowing some players to play, but how much rotation would you go for? Would you go for a team that you know can win the game? Would you go for a team that you'd hope if they make a few changes, we make a few changes, we can just sneak it? How much do you value the FA Cup this season? Because maybe in the Premier League, especially last season, when we got knocked out by Grimsby, it was so frustrating because Mm. it was our one chance of happiness that year. As unlikely as it would have been if we got Brighton in the next round, we probably would have got the same as Grimsby, 5-0 loss or or something like that, maybe a a 2-0, 3-0, I don't know. But this season, because we're fighting for a title or at least a top two position, does that change things? Or are you thinking, well, it's another week until the next fixture anyway, so it doesn't really matter. It's It's just another game to tick off and hopefully get a win out of. Yeah, I think it builds momentum. I I personally think you should go for it because I love the the FA Cup. There's a magic about it, which I think has sometimes been squandered a little bit from some of the top teams not really paying it as much attention. But I think it is a really important club in uh, cup uh, cup in England, which yeah, I I think has got a real importance for the lower leagues. I I really like it, so I want I don't want us to rotate too much and give it as an afterthought. I want us to really go for it. But I think there's players that have had late substitutions and not quite had the minutes that, like you said, I think Mara deserves um, some game time considering he has been scoring off the bench as well. I think Shea Charles could be someone who could really benefit from time. Jack Stevens. These are all players that we know have quality and they're just as strong when they come into the uh, the side. But um, yeah, I think they could benefit maybe from uh, a full 90 or at least starting the game. So, yeah. And Suleiman is back in training. How excited are you about that? Or do you look at Fraser and go, well, the Scotsman's doing really well. He's got to properly fight to get that left wing position back. Yeah, definitely. Uh, he's been, Ryan Fraser's been fantastic. I, I got a little bit of heat from talking how, how good I think he is uh, on TikTok. I got angered some uh, Newcastle fans. I didn't even know I did that, but you reported that back to me this morning and we're like yep apparently that didn't go down too well but I think some Saints fans also agreed with me as well and um, I think Tsunamana is one of the highest potential players we have in the squad but I don't think he's the strongest performing players I think there's some players that have been creating better output than him and I think it's frustrating as fans because we want to see him reach that potential but 
we're in a little bit of a point where we need the output right now. And if you're not producing it, then you might not be able to play. So I think Fraser is a little bit more of a assured quality is, is the way I'd put it. Right, time for my favourite part of the podcast. It's score prediction time. Watford versus Southampton in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Ollie, what do you think is going to happen? Uh, I think it's going to be a... I was going to say 3-1 again, but I'm not so sure. I'm going to say 2-1. Do you know what? I'm going to go for a 2-0. We know how to play against Watford now. We were so unlucky not to keep a clean sheet the last time we went to Vicarage Road. And you know what? I think they're going to make a few changes because they're really fighting for the playoffs, whereas we're comfortably inside it. And you know what? Jamie can't be here, but here he is with his podcast prediction. Hello, Saints score listeners. Sorry I can't make the episode. I've been very busy with work today. However, I do believe we're going to come away with a 2-0 win against Watford. I know it's away and we only drew one all last time with their last-minute equaliser. However, I think with the experience we had playing against them fairly recently and with the risk of our squad in a way better form it is now, I think we can go, go get there and get the comfortable win and proceed into the next round of the Cup. Up the Saints! Right, that's all we've got time for for this week's episode of the podcast. We looked at many different things. The win against Swansea that broke a club record 21 games unbeaten, as well as other news. Martin, what he said to BBC Radio 5 Live, Simmons on Nathan Jones and Ralph Hasenutel's reign, moving the away fans, Sulemana being back in training and also Kamari Doyle going away from the club and could that have an effect or maybe change how other youngsters look at being at Southampton my name's been Harry Tizard and I've been joined by Ollie Boast thank you very much for listening hopefully next week we will be reflecting on an FA Cup victory over Watford and a good fifth round draw before previewing the game against Rotherham we'll see you next week (laughs) 